0: Welcome to X Chateau, Ex Chateau, the podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome
1: to this episode of X Chateau. Today, our guest is Gabe Barkley, CEO of MHW, who's a leader in the import distribution and back office services for the wine industry. Gabe, welcome to the show to be here, Robert and Peter. Thanks for having me. I was wondering if you could give us a brief background about what MHW does for the wine industry and what type of partners and wine companies do you work with?
2: Sure. So MHW is a service provider in the beverage space. So our objective really is to enable rapid growth beverage brands, producers, importers to make their mark on the U.S. and EU markets. We provide importation, distribution, and back office services
1: really to allow people to enter and succeed in this complex marketplace. So in order to give us a little bit of context, so I think it would be good if we covered a little bit, obviously most of our listeners probably know, the three-tier system is something that's quite unique to the U.S. Where do you engage in that system and how how should people understand what MHW offers? Sure. And so the three-tier system, I'm sure your listeners are familiar, but thinking about them from
2: production, distribution, retail, being the three main tiers with import sort of playing the middle fiddle between production and wholesale. And really where we fit in the three-tier system is that import and distribution tier. So primarily we're an import partner for most of our clients, although we do also have wholesale licenses in four markets here in the US, New York, New Jersey, California, and Florida. And that enables us to sell those products all the way into the retail trade. But the core of our services really are taking on the burden of the complexity of the U.S. alcohol system for our clients. So we help with certificates of label approval at the federal level. We register brands for sale in all 50 states as our clients wish to enter those states. We help with all the tax reporting, compliance requirements of selling in the market. And then on the logistics side, we're helping clear customs. We're paying tax and duty. We have 3PL solutions to allow our clients to warehouse product in multiple locations around the US. And then we're effectuating fulfillment of orders to wholesalers around the country and retailers in our wholesale markets.
1: So I'm wondering, Gabe, maybe you could give us a little bit of background. Like, how did you get into this space? Because I know MHW has been around for a while. Like, what is your background? Do you have a, I mean, is this your wheelhouse in terms of the wine industry and all of the complexities with import and distribution?
2: Yeah. So my background doesn't go quite as far into the past as MHW's, which was founded in 1934. But my kind of passion for wine emerged in college. I had an opportunity to study in Rome. Uh, during my sophomore year. So I went to a, a small liberal arts college with a campus just outside of Rome. And there was a priest there who would come to campus. He was an Italian wine lover and he would bring things to share with students that we couldn't otherwise afford, right? Some super Tuscans and and other things that really sparked my curiosity. And as I started to kind of walk down that path, I got more and more enthralled with the world of wine to the point where, I bought maybe five or six wine books on Amazon, had them sent to my parents' house, and then just kind of voraciously consumed them over the next summer. And from there, really what happened was I started in the wine retail trade after after college. I had a fine wine retailer in Dallas. It was really formative for me in terms of learning about the industry, but also understanding the complexity, how much you don't know, even no matter how much you know, how much you don't know. And I had a great mentor there. And so he was a French expat who founded that business. And so my early journey was very French wine focused. But I also wanted to take the skills and things that I was learning and apply them to bigger problems. So I left the wine industry, went into consulting for several years, hadn't quite gotten the bug out of my system. I actually helped a gentleman who was a a recent guest on your podcast, Kevin Sitters, with the early days of InConnect. And so I did that alongside working at Accenture and Deloitte in financial and strategy consulting. I took a break from both of those to go to business school. And then after business school, I really wanted to re-engage with value creation, being able to be a a leader in a business and take that business and, and allow it to deliver better and better services and grow. And so I partnered with a private equity fund, and we were lucky enough to make an investment in and partner with the leadership team here at MHW. And I joined as CEO at that time. That was about four years ago. And that investment really allowed me to pair two things that were really important, which is not just the ability to create value, but MHW does that by partnering with our clients. Right, so MHW does well when we deliver great services for our clients and they're able to grow their businesses here in the U.S. So it was a great kind of next step for me and excited to be back in the wine and spirit space.
0: Cool. So yeah, PE, four years into PE, so you've got one to three years left. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the traditional timeline. I think one
2: of the one of the nuances that's lost, right? when people talk about private equity, they think about value creation and the things that make headlines, but it really comes down to who your partner is. right? And we're lucky enough to have a partner that's both long-term focused and cares about real value in the company, not financial value. So how can we deliver to and grow the quality of services we give to our clients? That long-term view is really important to us as a company and is important to all the stakeholders here.
0: So MHW provides all the importation back office services. What are the, some of the like, concrete services that you provide? Sure. So if a new winery wants to come into the U.S., we'll help them get a cola. right? And
2: we allow them to put their name on the back label through our federal permit if they want. So it can say imported by Tenuta so-and-so. We will help them with the importation, customs, clearance, warehousing solution. We can help them with filling orders when they get them. If they want to enter a new market that requires a registration, we'll complete that registration for them. And then if we invoice an order, say somebody comes to the U.S., they want to sell to New York retailers, they get an order from a New York retailer, we will invoice that retailer, we'll deliver the wine, we'll collect the payment, and then we'll deduct any expenses and fees and then remit the remainder to the producer.
0: So are you exclusively helping... International, international outside the US, that is, wine brands import into the US?
2: Yeah, so I think overall the theme of our clients is that they want to invest in growth in the US and in the EU markets, right? And they demand a high return on investment that they make in go to market capabilities. Because really what we do is we provide the kind of the pipes to go to market. But we work with wine, beer, spirits we work with domestic brands, international brands, we work with brands that have never sold a case and we work with brands that sell millions of cases a year. That common thread is far more important to us that it's a a goal to enter and succeed and a willingness to invest in that market.
0: And so with the services you provide, do you have like software or technology that underpins your services or is it straight like people services?
2: Yeah, so we do have a pretty robust technology ecosystem. We have an internal ERP that is kind of the the support structure for everything that we do. But it's really there to enable our team and then to enable us to deliver technology to our clients or solutions to our clients. So transparency is a really important part of what we do. It's a core value for us and it's an essential pillar of what we deliver to clients. And one of the ways that we deliver on that is through technology. So we have a client reporting dashboard that delivers information to our clients in real time about the activity that we do for them. So it updates every two hours with all the new invoices that we've issued, all the new product that has come into inventory, any funds collections that we have done, anything that we do from a kind of a tactical standpoint, is available to them every two hours, if not faster. And that gives us a really good communication with our clients so they can in real time ask questions or we can in real time communicate with them. In addition to that, we have an order placement tool where sales reps that our clients have in the market can place orders on that tool that come directly to us so that we can fulfill them. And then we have some other communication and self-service tools just to enable our clients to um, have faster feedback loops when they need something from us. For example, if a winery wants to add a new vintage, right, they can do that on our website. They don't have to be in touch with us. They just tell us, hey, we're bringing in the 2018. And so that is a way that we try to enable and make as easy as possible what is a pretty complex ecosystem in entering the U.S. market.
0: So who are your typical or target customers?
2: So I think at a high level, it comes down to what I said earlier, which is our target is really brands who are interested in, in entering and succeeding in the market. As we have evolved as a company over the last 25 years, early on, our main client was someone who was entering the market for the first time. And largely that was Spirits, right? So we worked with Spirits, wine and beer. But early on, it was a lot of velocity of Spirits brands. Over time, that has shifted. We're seeing more and more interest on the wine side, especially the last decade or so. And we're seeing more interest from larger brands and wineries and producers as well. So people who are coming to the market, not just to succeed, but also with a desire to control their destiny in the market, a willingness to invest up front because they want to make sure that the marketing and sales dollars they spend are spent how they want them to be spent. And in our model, we're not working on a margin with the idea that we're going to spend some of that on sales and marketing, right? We're working on a per case fee that allows our clients to choose how they want to spend that incremental dollar. And that's really important, not just to small brands, but to brands as they get larger and more successful as well.
0: So the brand is your client you're helping them import in. Do they then, or do some of them have an importer in the U.S. that they work with? So do you work with importers basically and just help them with all their logistics and paperwork? Yeah, we do. So we have
2: clients who are importers, who are distributors, even, where we're doing the back office solutions for them. Most of our clients are are wineries or producers who are interested in taking that next step, who are interested in saying, I want to control my destiny in this market, or I want to be able to enter. Right. Another important part of our ecosystem, as you both, I'm sure, are very well aware of, it's hard for new brands to enter. It's hard to get the attention of a distributor. It's hard to get the attention of an importer. And when you do, sometimes it's not the arrangement that you want. One of the things that we offer is the ability to enter the market without that traction. So you can, if you believe that you have something special that the U.S. consumer is going to want, you can come to MHW and enter the market without a traditional import partner. And that's something that is becoming more and more important. Right? One of the reasons the company was founded was the kind of the, the pending consolidation of the supplier and distribution tiers. I think we went from something like 3,000 wholesalers for wine in, in 1995 to something like 1,200 in 2017. That's some pretty rapid consolidation. At the same time, those books get bigger and bigger. And that makes it harder for brands to get the attention of a distributor. And one of the things we offer is market access without that attention. If you can come here, you can invest in building that traction and then build those distribution relationships after you have something more likely to capture their attention.
0: So a brand from like Italy will use you to help import and they'll have their own sales staff or sales and marketing efforts and create their own relationship with distributors in the U.S. and sell to those distributors. So they're the salespeople and you're the middle glue. Is that how it works?
2: Yep, that's exactly right. We like to say you can go to market with zero licenses, depending on the state where you're in, right? But zero licenses, and then really we can take care of everything except the sales and marketing, right? So what that allows our clients to do is, is the two things that really drive value for them. One, put great liquid in bottles, number one, and then choose how they communicate it to the market through sales and marketing efforts.
1: So as a consumer, I often look at the back label and a lot of times if I don't know a brand, I'll flip the bottle over to see who the importer is because I've come to realize that certain importers have a book palette that I can start to understand at a higher level. But when I flip a bottle over that may have gone through MHW, I'll I'll never see MHW on the back label as the importer that's with the logo there, right? It's always going to be someone else's brand, probably in most likely the wineries brand themselves. You may see it every once in a while, but very rarely. Right, The only way that you would be able to tell it was imported by us
2: is if it says Manhasset, New York on the label. Otherwise, we really don't want to be the brand that you see, Robert. Right? We want you to see the importer or the producer name that that is responsible for that product being here and and getting to that retailer
1: you're buying it from. So that explains why when you were like, oh, we do import and distribution, I was like, I know most of the importers and most of the distributors, but I'm not really familiar with MHW, just I'm not, because you're more external facing to the foreign Wineries coming in. Do you provide domestic services as well in terms of for like say I'm a Oregon winery that's five thousand cases and I want to get more national distribution because it's been hard to like as you said even for importing to get into distribution. Is that something that you guys are helping with as well?
2: Yeah, so we do work with domestic producers as well. The solution set is very similar, and and largely it comes down to as a producer of of fine wine, how much time and attention do you want to spend on compliance? And on the logistics and supply chain parts of of going to market, and what does that cost you? And we can deliver that service for most brands who are just entering for less than half the cost of a full time employee. And so we try to be a cost effective solution from early on, and then to scale as a cost effective solution as
1: brands grow. So I'm curious for the wine space, like how big is MHW? Like how many brands are you or wineries are you working with, bringing in, or is there? Can you talk about the volume of? Wine that you bring into the U.S. or even top-line revenue—if that's stuff that you're willing to share—sure, I can share a couple of data points with you. Maybe not the ones that you ideally like, but we'll see how these
2: do for you. A couple of things that are important—I guess we've sold through our system over 150 million cases since mid 1995, so it's not a small number of cases we've helped with. We're actively helping tens of thousands of products in the market today, and. We have about 150 employees, but we're rapidly hiring. So I would definitely encourage any of your listeners who are wine interested and and curious about how products get to market in the U.S. to take a look. But we're really focused on being a strategic value-added partner for our clients, and we've been really happy
1: to have so many choose us. So I'm curious if you maybe have an example or two that you'd be willing to share that people may know about, or I'm not sure if that's something you're not allowed to disclose. So we can,
2: we've got a couple on our website. I'm happy to, happy to mention them. And our industry is great for publicly available information through the TTB. So none of it's necessarily a secret, but we've helped Armand de Brignac, the Ace of Spades Champagne folks for, for quite some time. We work with Carolina Wine Brands as another example, as well as the Pasqua family out of Northern Italy, and then one other example that I'm I'm sure your listeners would be familiar with is the Jean Louis Chauve wines. And so each of them has a slightly unique need, right? And each of them has a slightly unique way of working with us. But that's one of the things that we also pride ourselves on. We don't deliver just a single boxed service. We try to understand what our clients' goals are and fill that need for them to to really tailor services towards what's going to help them be more successful in the
1: market. I didn't realize that Jean Louis XIV was going direct. I thought that they were, I thought they had a couple different import partners around the US. I know they have Shivrick in one part, and I thought Rare Wine at some point as well.
2: Yep, that's right. And so, one of the things that we do is we work within the bounds of the need that our clients have. And so some of our clients don't necessarily use us for 100% of their work or their national business. And, and sometimes maybe they import it themselves or through us and then still sell to importers. So everyone has a different way of working. We work with some portfolios of fine wine where we're just doing direct to retail in one state, for example. We may not work with them on a national basis or even be the importer of record, but our licenses allow us to be a partner with them as a distributor in, in New York or another state.
0: So could you give us a couple examples of how that engagement is different for MHW with different things, just to give our listeners a a flavor of the different ways you actually work and help out these brands? Sure. Yeah. And and I, I think just to build on my prior
2: example there, if a winery is coming to us and has never been in the U.S. market, they may want to be able to build traction in New York or well, let's say they're targeting New York. so. We may be the importer of record for them. They would bring a small quantity of wine over. And maybe they're not choosing to hire a salesperson. Maybe the owner of the winery wants to come over and do some sales and marketing activities for a couple of weeks in New York to build traction. So they would bring that product over. We would work with them to do that. The Let's say the owner comes over, is in market to sell, and is able to open some accounts. We would then take those orders. We'd fulfill those orders. And then they would be able to continue to build that business over time. That would be one example. Another example might be someone who has an agreement and an opportunity with a large national retailer. So they're going to be in 30 to 50 states, but they need a partner to help them get there. We can be the logistics partner to bring product from its point of origin, make sure it clears customs and is available to be delivered and sometimes delivered direct to wholesalers in the market where that large retail partner might be. And most of the time they will have an existing or a desired wholesaler that they want to work with. And so we'll facilitate that. And so that's those are two examples of ways we've worked with brands and there's many in between.
0: So what's your key MHW's key value proposition versus a brand going with the traditional importer or distributor? Yeah,
2: I think the way that we think about it is you have three options to go to market in the U.S. One, you can do it yourself, right? You could set up a, an entity and get an import permit, all of the out-of-state shipper permits, build your own back office. It's expensive. It takes time. It's right for some people. It's not right for a lot of people. The traditional importer-distributor route, you're making a trade-off between control and and the timing of your investment. So With a traditional importer, and and it can be the right choice for a lot of brands, especially in small wineries that don't have a lot of volume, they can find a partner who's going to buy the wine from them, right? And then who's going to take it into the U.S. and who's going to take on the burden of selling it into the market. What you lose there is you lose transparency, right? You don't necessarily know who's buying your wine in the U.S. And you lose a little bit of control, right? You may not have a lot of voice over exactly how your wine is positioned in the U.S. And again, that can be a great decision for some, but we offer an alternative. That alternative is we're not going to be a traditional importer who's going to buy your wine from you, market up and use our sales team to sell it. But we are going to be a strategic partner for you to import your wine, ensure that it gets to market the way that you want to market it at the prices that you want to sell it for to the accounts and wholesalers that you want to work with. And that's our value proposition. And one of the things that's important to us from just a service perspective is the ability to provide that tailored service that meets the underlying aspirations of our client is important. And part of the expectation we find is that's not always met is to treat our clients as people, right? To have that human connection. Picking up the phone matters, for example. It's our expectation that not only do our teams pick up the phone and that our clients get that service from them. But every one of our clients has my cell phone, has our executive team's phone numbers, right? So we're reachable by them to be able to partner as new needs arise and to be dynamic as they go to market.
1: And if I'm curious on the composition of your business. You have wine, spirits, and beer. What's the rough breakdown between those three different major verticals? And also, has that changed quite a bit since 1995? So I would say it has changed since 1995 and it
2: fluctuates depending on what our client mix is at any one point in time. But I would say definitely started on this more spirits focused side. About four years ago, we were probably 40% spirits, 40% wine, 20% beer. We're probably closer to 50% spirits, 45% wine, 5% beer at this point, um, just because of the dynamics of the market. And one of the opportunities we've had over the last few years is to work with more family wineries that want to find a long-term partnership and an opportunity to to own their destiny in the U.S. market over time. I think as people have evaluated their options and chosen how they want to come to market, we're really excited about the value that we can bring and, and the partners we've been able to work with.
1: And when you look at your kind of clientele, is there a scale or a size that differentiates what they mean? We just were talking about how the distributors have compressed over the last 20 years, but then importers seem like they've kind of blown up and there's a lot of different small importers. And, and then obviously you have those, the retails that are doing gray market direct import. I'm curious on like, for the people who are choosing to work with MHW, is there, is there a certain, for in, especially in the wine space, is there a certain scale that those wine brands typically are or price point that they typically are to explore a partnership with you guys? Yeah. So we typically work best with producers who want to
2: sell 350 cases a month or more. We can work for less. It really, it depends a little bit on the price point and the margin that they have available, but we work on a per case fee with a monthly minimum. And that 350 cases to retail in one of those four wholesale states I mentioned, New York, New Jersey, California, and Florida, is about where they break even on the per case with the monthly minimum. And then as they scale, right, then it just becomes a matter of a couple of points on the price of the wine that's being sold.
0: So, what's your business model for your clients? So, is it, you mentioned, I think it's just a per case model. Are there any other, and no commissions? Are there any other, how does that business work?
2: Our typical service model is a a per case fee that we charge on goods that we sell into the market, whether it's direct import and that we're facilitating a sale directly to a wholesaler, or if we're bringing the product in and it's being warehoused with one of our warehouse partners. And then we're executing a sale to a wholesaler or a retailer. We're charging just a small per case fee on each of those transactions. And then we do pass on the direct costs of being in market. So if your product is in the warehouse for three months, it's probably going to be around a dollar in storage fees for those three months on a case. And that's passed through to the producer as well.
0: So I saw, on I think on your website, that MHW has started to have some global aspirations and established a base in the EU in 2018. How does global fit into the equation for MHW?
2: Yeah, so we think about ourselves, while the U.S. is kind of a petri dish for complexity in the beverage alcohol market in many ways with the three-tier system, we're much more focused on our ability to strategically partner with brands and producers on logistics, order fulfillment, and the complexities that other environments have. Right. So Europe may not have the three-tier system, but they have a pretty complex tax ecosystem. Right? So brands have just as many questions when they're answering, should I enter the EU from the US as they do if, if they're in the EU and saying, should I answer, enter or how should I enter the US market? And if we can be a thought partner and a service provider through that process, to producers, then that's really why we're here. Right? And we found that to be a need and we found that to be a value and we're excited to continue to be able to provide that.
1: So I'm curious, is this a crowded space? I mean, we're seeing a lot of technology plays happening out in the wine industry as well. Obviously we talked about compression of the distribution. How big of a market space is this? Yeah, I would say as a space, when MHW was founded, it was definitely as a niche,
2: right? So. It was definitely early. There were a couple of other players doing similar things, but really early as a niche. But I think the service provider ecosystem has been gaining importance over time, and that's even accelerated over the past few years as a portion of the industry. And that's for a few reasons. One, that increased consolidation makes it harder and harder for brands to come to market. and We enable new producers to enter and prove themselves right? Sometimes on the spirit side, it's people who are are after an acquisition. They're trying to to build a brand to be acquired. Sometimes people want a long-term strategic partner to establish a really solid base and then just continue with that base over time. We allow people to kind of cut through the complexity of the three-tier system because we can take that on for them, but to still own the sales and marketing, right? To control their destiny and we can deliver that cost effectively. So I think it's not the easiest thing to set up a full-scale operation here in the U.S. with all 50 states covered and all the complex licenses and and things that you need. There are definitely more and more interest in the service provider space from from new entrants to it, but I think the licensed ecosystem that we participate in has a growing need, and, and we're excited to see that continue
1: would you say, do you have any major competitors that keep you up at night or is it kind of a blue ocean for you?
2: So there is a couple other people in our space that we compete with. I think we, and everybody approaches the market a little bit differently. Some people are very technology focused and it's a little bit more of a do-it-yourself for the producers who are entering the market. Some people are a little bit more focused on one vertical. There's some that are only spirits or some that are only wine. You know, what we pride ourselves on is being able to, solve for all of those different commodities and to do it with a high degree of service, right? So to pick up the phone. And that's something I think separates us from those other companies.
0: So a lot of the major producers I've seen have started to either buy or start, they have their own kind of importer, wholesaler type person. Like I can think of Epi who owns Charles and Piper Hiddseck, just invested in or bought majority of folio wine partners. So, Grapp in Portugal owns Eviton and, and Rotor owns Maison Marquee and Domain. How do those relationships compare to what MHW provides?
2: Yeah, so I think the biggest difference would still be that Maison Marquee Domain is a traditional importer, right? So, you're still going to sell your product to them and then they're going to take it from there, right? So, the difference would, would be very similar with any importer in the US market, right? We're going to work with the supplier, the producer for, uh, with transparency all the way through the sale process, right? And we're not going to take on the onus of the sales and marketing like Maison Market Domain or or Evaton would, but we are going to allow our clients to have that visibility so that they can take it on effectively themselves.
1: I'm curious on how, um, obviously there's been a boom in wine and spirits over e-commerce, how that plays into the MHW business in terms of whether it's wine.com or Drizzly. Those are prime tools for acquiring wine and spirits. Does that help or hinder your market space?
2: Yeah. So we're a little bit omnivorous, I guess, when it comes to the end markets where consumers are buying, right? We're three-tier compliant. Drizzly is three-tier compliant. Wine.com is three-tier compliant. And what that means is they're still needing to buy their product from a licensed wholesaler, or they're still needing to buy their product from an importer wholesaler. And so regardless of where the consumer is buying. And I think the explosion of of Drizzly and all of the players in that market, you know, Speakeasy is another one that's a little spirits focused. I think that's fantastic. It provides consumers a a different way to buy. The explosion during 2020, I think increased a lot of awareness, right? If there's anything anything positive to come out of a global pandemic, I think it changed the way that brands can be built in the US and, and how people are aware that they can buy alcohol. So that's all really fantastic. I think the difference, the way that we think about e-commerce is really enabling our clients to have another opportunity to gain traction in the U.S. market. It doesn't take away their need or the value of MHW. It actually enables us to help them find the right fit from one of those e-commerce providers and to then be able to sell more product to the right consumer.
1: So what would you say is next on the horizon from MHW? Yes, yeah, so I think one of the things we
2: did a lot of in 2020 is build relationships with those e-commerce providers. And I think continuing to be on the forefront of how brands can be built and how brands can find success in the U.S. market is really important to us. Continuing to develop more technology solutions that are value-added for our clients is important to us. So right now, we're providing a lot of solutions. We want to make sure we're able to continue to build on that, right? How can we give business intelligence to our clients so that they can find the place in the market they're going to resonate and go after that place in the market? And what are the services that we need to explore to continue to expand on that? We acquired a business called BevStrat in 2019 that has a you know on-the-ground sales support for brands entering the market. So that brand from Italy that we talked about earlier, Peter, if they came over and they didn't, the owner didn't have time to come to market and try to sell for a couple weeks a month or, or a couple months a year, they could engage someone like BevStrat to go visit accounts and try to open accounts with their wines all the way from them being over in Italy. And that team of BevStrat would be there on the ground sales support. right? So that's an example of the types of new services and opportunities we want to give to brands over time. We think there's a lot of opportunity to do that and we'll keep building on it.
0: So if you wanted to have a call to action for wine brands that might be listeners to the show, how can they learn more about your services? Yeah, so I think check out our
2: website, email our team. There's a number of options on our website to get in touch with us. We'll be happy to give you a demo of how things work here and, and to share more. Um, but even more than that, I would just encourage folks who are either not in the market right now or just entering the market to really think about 2021 as a huge opportunity, especially to enter the market. Right Alongside our reemergence from COVID, the U.S. market is reopening with thousands of new bar and restaurant accounts with new employees, with new buyers, packaging configurations are starting to matter more in the off-premise, but on-premise is really blurring the lines a bit because traditional packaging is still going to lead there. Bars, restaurants, traditional packaging is still better for them at this point in time. So as those on-premise accounts are rebuilding menus, wine lists, cocktail lists, staff, right, proactivity to get in front of those markets, get in front of those buyers, it's never been a better time. Awesome.
1: Gabe, I learned a lot about a space I don't know a ton about. I'm curious, uh, obviously we're coming out of the pandemic, over the next like 12 months, what are you personally most excited about in the wine industry?
2: Yeah, so we're following three trends pretty closely. We touched on a couple of them, but e-commerce is the first one. Uh, I think the opportunity for e-commerce to continue to grow and evolve for alcohol. We're really at the apex of that. And we're seeing a lot of investment in that space. We're seeing a lot of innovation in that space. And one of the opportunities I think that exists is opening DTC up more broadly for producers, both of the imported variety and of the domestic. Uh, we saw Kentucky pass a, a, the law first of its client kind allowing direct-to-consumer for spirits also really important, not just the spirits component of that law, but it provided equity for imported brands. So importers have the same rights as domestic producers. Uh, And so if we're able to kind of build on that, I think that's really exciting. Uh, Formats and occasions are changing, right? Packaging formats are going to continue to change and can the wine industry, spirits industry, and beer industry, they're going to continue to compete with each other to find formats and occasions that appeal to consumers. And it's going to, I think that's going to lead to some fan- fascinating innovation. And then the continued trend towards health and sustainability, right? Natural wine, low, no alcohol beverages that are in the space or adjacent to the space, emergence of CBD and potentially at a national level THC beverages, it's all going to lead to some really fascinating trends in the space that we're watching pretty closely. I think some of those are short-term and some of those are longer-term impacts to the space, but as producers are thinking about entering the market, especially the e-commerce and formats, occasion questions are, are things that they should be thinking about.
0: You generated another last question for me. Uh, When you're talking about trends in e-commerce as well as direct-to-consumer expansion, there's also that notion of uh, retailers who are selling a lot online and then shipping to various other states from a compliance perspective. Do you see retailers will need to register with every state, much like wineries need to for direct-to-consumer? It's an interesting question, Peter. I think
2: there's long been a little bit of an uncertainty over exactly what the right way to do that, what it looks like. I think that's a question that's going to continue to be asked and it's going to continue to be answered in incremental ways. I think the emergence of platforms like Drizzly and like Wine.com are going to lead us to have to answer those questions in a more black and white way sooner. I don't know what those answers are going to be exactly, but you look at like GoPuff as an example, right? Who's taking a very kind of integrated and channel-owned approach to to direct-to-retail across alcohol, but also across a number of other categories as kind of a retailer. And then you look at a Drizzly, who's very much a marketplace, or a Speakeasy, or or a Reserve Bar, right? Very much marketplaces. And I think that puts the traditional retailer who's been doing a lot of shipping in a little bit of a weird spot, but there's also some opportunity, right? And I think that's going to, all of them are going to choose something different. Some are going to choose to become a part of that broader e-commerce ecosystem. Some are going to choose to go it alone. And as the Supreme Court and various other courts continue to answer cases on what direct to consumer shipping rights look like and, and who has them, some of those pieces will need to fall into place. But I guess the last thing I would say on that is it's also going to be led by some of the larger retailers in the country and what they choose to do, right? So you think about somebody like Total Wine, right? If you think about it, it's a, for the client, for the supplier, it's data light. They don't have a lot of access to the data. It's a retailer owned ecosystem. It's a traditional brick and mortar that's going to deliver a tremendous amount of wine and spirits to consumers in their homes over the next decade. And so in many ways, it's going to, I think, has an opportunity to proactively shape the market in favor of some retailers and some are not going to like where it goes. I think time will tell to see how that all shakes out.
1: Awesome. Well, Gabe, thank you for uh, joining us. We appreciate giving this slowdown on MHW. It was interesting to hear.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great speaking with both of you and I look forward to raising a glass with you sometime.
1: Sounds good.
0: Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers.